What's up, everybody? Welcome to Giraffe Chat. This is episode number 165. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, kind of as per usual, Ben Fisher. <laughs> What's oh, up, dude? Let, let's, uh, let's not bury the lead. Things are not usual this time around. This, this is weird, but good. Yeah, so if you're not watching on Spotify or on YouTube, you don't know this, but we've switched our recording software, and now we've got video. So all of our episodes probably going forward. I don't want to make that commitment just yet because if we find kinks with this recording software, we may not do this. But for the foreseeable future, at least we're going to try this for the next couple of weeks. See how it goes. Um, we should have video, like real video on all of our episodes. So that's pretty fun. Uh, we're excited yeah. about that. All right. On to, uh, <laughs> uh, on to our I, usual like, housekeeping. Sh- should I wave? Should I do a jig? I don't know what to, I don't know what to do now. Are they looking at me? This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully I get a, a nicer background here because uh, this blank wall is very boring. But Patrons we'll got out. a grand tour of our rooms. So uh, That's true. <laughs> if you want to know yeah. what our rooms look like. <laughs> the pre-show there. But let's get into our usual housekeeping before we jump into our episode today. Of course, if you're not already in the Discord, do check that out. It's the best place to be to best place to be to chat all things MTG. Say hi to us, chat with the rest of the aficionados. Of course, check out our trophies channel. We've got a new format coming out soon, so you're going to want to keep an eye on that for you know, who gets the first trophy. Maybe Ben won't be the trophy leader this time around. I'm actually I'm not going to make the commitment just yet. But with everything going back to school and, you know, all this sort of stuff, I'm kind of making my own personal commitment to have more trophies this format than you. Oh, my God. I mean, I will be swamped. This is like this set drops my first week back to teaching. And if there was ever a time when I have non-magic stuff to do, <laughs> it's going to be now. So uh, I don't know. I, as, as always, I say good luck. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need it. Um, anyway, the link to that discord is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. So check that out if you're interested. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge, huge thanks to each and every one of our patrons who support us each and every week. We are beyond grateful for all of you. Thank you so much for your support. Perks over there include things like our draft doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings that we just talked about, as well as our draft chaff hero cards signed by us and sent to you. And you can, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right. On to our crack draft type thing. This is interesting. This is, we're in the smack dab in the middle of a draft here, Ben. What's going on? All right. So here I've got a pack three pick one for us. Uh, shown on screen even. How about that? So uh, here I, I've gotten pretty deep into the draft. I'm deep into black white. Uh, I pack one pick one to this valiant veteran, which is a, the soldier lord. A lot of the lords in this set were just junk. You couldn't really make them work. But uh, the soldier one's actually really strong because you can go wide pretty easily. So I picked up a lot of good stuff. Uh, I have two Knight of Dawn's Light, and I have... Uh, that's two of the, the white knights. Uh, later on, I picked up one of the black knights in this deck, so it ended up being pretty pretty knighty, pretty uh, soldiery. Uh, I already have a Resolute Reinforcements too. Uh, some other good two drops. Take up the shield. Some Battle Rage Blessings that'll get cut. A Tribute. My three drops are good, too, uh, are giving Cavalier two uh, Frexian Ragers, a couple Stalfer times, which I actually like in these low curve white decks. Um, it acts as a removal spell that sometimes can also draw you your, uh, your like extra two drop and you can play them all in turn five or something. Those sabotages got cut. Shadow Prophecy, 
uh, good removal spell and extinguish the light and some some lands to help out. So I opened pack three and what do I find but a slightly on color rare in Urtai Resurrected. This one was pretty good. Um, it was four mana, three, two, flash. When it ETVs, you can either counter a spell, activate the ability, or trigger the ability, and then its controller draws a card. Uh, or destroy another target creature or planeswalker, its controller draws a card. And yeah, you know, you're not really getting a, a two for one here. It's, it's guaranteed to be a one for one unless you set it up in a really clever way. Like, I don't know, maybe they go for a pump spell on their creature and you destroy their creature in response or even counter the pump spell, depending on the context. So you can do some cool stuff with their tie. Super flexible. It's kind of like the ultimate answer. And uh, I can actually cast it already. I have a Crystal Grotto and a Sunlit Marsh here. But there's a lot of other stuff in this pack, too. There's a Cult Conscript, the uh, one mana two one. I've already got one of them in the main. This is Love Song of Night and Day, which I love this card. Anyone that knows, <laughs> that knows me knows that I never skip chapter one. I have never skipped chapter one on Love Song. Uh, there's a Pilfer, uh, playable. Uh, and Argivian Cavalier, which is solid. Uh, one of the best food drops in the format. One of the best, maybe the best white common. Uh, oh, no, actually, hold on. There's also the, uh, the Destroy Evil. I don't know. I forget which, which it was. Or maybe even the Indestructible Trick take up i don't know uh there's a faith bonder in our colors there's a vivisector in our colors there's a splatter goblin and a samite herbalist in our colors a lot of options here what are you thinking yeah i mean with what you've got i know you're contemplating the love song of night and day uh that's like kind of a finisher for you in a lot of these decks uh i've seen quite a few screenshots of you uh your opponents scooping to you playing chapter one so <laughs> oh um, yeah i know oh, yeah. i know that's something you love to do with these uh so i wouldn't be too surprised if you took that um i think with the valiant veteran though you're putting a high premium on knights so i think i would go our giving cavalier here this is a soldier lord Oh, it is. Right, right, right. My bad. I'm yeah. thinking the opposite. I thought it was it, a Nightlord. Uh, um, Cavalier does make a soldier, though. That's true. I mean, yeah, you're still getting the soldier out of the Cavalier, so I think my assessment still stands, but yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Thanks for the correction there. Also, I don't think we explicitly mentioned this is a DMU draft. <laughs> In case people were wondering still. Yeah, th this is up on Flashback, and I adore this set, so uh, it's been a lot of fun. And also, maybe it'll be relevant for today's episode in some way i don't know i think taking urtai is defendable here this is a very easy set to splash in we have the common duels it wouldn't be weird to find a blue duel adjacent to black or white especially because you know sometimes those can go kind of later if the, the green uh drafter isn't snapping them all up but here i actually did go with the argivian cavalier and i don't know sometimes it feels a little bad to pass your rare even when it's kind of on color and actually castable and pretty good but the reason that I took the Argivian Cavalier is because I figured it had a better, like a higher expected value for my deck. Oh, well, what is expected mm. value? Uh, I guess you got to wait for the main topic. <laughs> wow, nice, nice lead in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, Airtie is fine. I, I just think that, like, well, and you don't have very many four drops, so maybe I could see how you craft the rest of this draft to let you kind of want to keep mana up on four but a lot of times this deck really just wants to tap out play like I, I think you'd rather play two two drops on four than like hold up air tie and maybe not actually get mm -hmm. any value out of it that turn so this just is like the the reactive kind of game plan that i think a deck like this isn't trying to play yeah and honestly that that giving your opponent a card it functions kind of similar to love song of night and day it actually works better in, a, in like assertive decks than reactive decks uh, because then 
you know, sometimes you kill them before they can do that. Like if this was just a, what if this is just like a, um, a ravenous chupacabra in your deck, right? It is if you kill them the turn you cast Urtai, right? You, you play it, you kill their four drop, you swing in with your whole team, and then they go to one, and all the cards in their hand don't do anything because they're at one and they can't stabilize. So uh, it, it could yeah. have some legs here, but it's a splash. It, it's just a little silly, you know? <laughs> and uh, it doesn't really have any vector synergy with what I'm trying to do already. Meanwhile, Valiant Veteran uh, and Enlist, they both kind of lead this deck in pointing towards uh, wanting to go wide as possible and then maybe occasionally go tall with a, a Cavalier to punch in some damage early. That's kind of the strength of this card. Um, and then going super wide, maybe picking up a uh, like an overrun style effect and then swinging with a million things to close up the game. Yep. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is a Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, what's going on? Huh. Well, uh, I'm going to start with my Tybalt this week, the downsides. School's coming. I, I realized today that in, in exactly two weeks, I will be back. Um, so that's... <laughs> Did you ever, like, I don't know if you've, if you've taken a second to contemplate this before, but you realize that, like, you're going back to work as soon as a set with a symbol of woe drops. <laughs> <laughs> woe is me indeed. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. I, I wish I could enter the wicked slumber instead of going back to school. Uh, it sounds nice, right? In the wicked slumber, you have nightmares slash dreams about your wildest fantasies and they come true sometimes. But also, I don't know. I, I have some issues with the lore of this set. We can get into that later. But uh, sounds like something for a Flavortown episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, my Tibble, I went to the uh, Modern Game Day. Uh, I saw a lot of people posting on Twitter. A lot of the game days looked like they were limited uh, for Lord of the Rings, which kind of bummed ours wasn't. It was modern instead, I guess, to get people hyped for the next RCQ season. Uh, I played Pioneer in this last RCQ season. It was a lot of fun. You know, uh, I enjoy playing white humans, white weenies. So uh, that was fun. But this one, I played Black White Scam and I made such a huge pun. I basically threw the tournament away. Um, I felt really good going into it too. I was, I was, uh, one Oh, I wiped the floor with Tron. <laughs> it was pretty good. I Very just nice. shredded their hand as, uh, as I'm playing Orzov scam. So ephemerate grief is what I'm trying to do. Uh, and my, my like Tron opponent mulligans and I had the scam in hand and I was like, all right, well, they're about to go down to like two cards in hand. <laughs> uh, anywho, I play against this four or five color Omnath deck and I don't know what I was thinking. I, I turned one Inquisitioned and I saw they only had one land and they had mulliganed. I guess they kept the one lander and they had a Renin six, uh, a fable, the mirror breaker, and then a bunch of four drops like the one ring and Omnath. So I don't know what I was thinking, but I took the fable of the mirror breaker instead of the Renin six, which that meant all they had to do was top deck one fetch land. And then they could just recur it with Renin Six and then they could hit all their land drops. But if I had taken the Renin Six, they would have been stuck on one land and then one three drop and a couple four drops. And I had like a, a, a start after that was pretty aggressive with like Douthy Voidwalkers and, and Stoneforge Mystics. And this is in game two. I, I think had I taken the, <laughs> had I taken the Renin Six, I would have just won the match right there. And gone on to do how who knows how well in the rest of the tournament. I probably could have made top eight in that case. Instead, I 
proceeded to lose that game and basically every other game after it <laughs> uh, because that punt just got to me so badly. I, I, I recovered from it in the moment, but um, still, it yeah, was how the quickly back did you head. notice? Well, I, I think what I was thinking at the moment was the four color Omnath decks play tons of lands and I'm not willing to like if they hit the land, then they hit the land, right? So if my opponent hits the land, they get to play the Ren, they get to make the land drop. Yeah. If they don't, maybe they hit the next turn, then they still get to play the Ren or the Fable. I don't, I, I really don't know. Uh, I think I was thinking that I couldn't rely on them not drawing lands in order for me to win the game based on what was in my hand. And that's sure. not an unreasonable take, but it was a one lander. What was I thinking? <laughs> I'm, I'm still <laughs> kicking myself for this one. Anyway, um, after that, I, I played some really good games against a Grixis Death Shadow opponent. Uh, they they squeaked it out in the end, and then uh, while playing still for top eight because it was a small tournament, um, I lost to Bogles, which was mm. kind of insulting because I had I'd taken some stuff out of my sideboard that could have helped against Bogles, like some some disenchant style uh, edict style. I like took out my lilies, which would have been amazing against Bogles because uh Anywho. Is that so? I don't. I mean, I don't know the modern landscape very well right now. Is that uh, was that a, a larger meta call, or like you just weren't expecting to see Bogles, or you just thought I on, wasn't. A, on average, like I'll I'll spec for the rest of the what I'm expecting to see, and yeah, I I was pretty well prepared for the One Ring. I was pretty well prepared for Tron, which were big finishers out of the last Modern Pro Tour. Uh, I did get to cast vindicate three mana uh, destroy target permanent and i got to cast vindicate against my opponent's urza's tower that was pretty sick <laughs> and then they had a uh, i'm sure you felt, felt pretty vindicated in that moment oh oh yeah that was a nice one um that and that's what led to the concession that that felt good but uh no past that i i got a little screwed over honestly when i i did win a game against the bogus player and uh they said to me man I should have brought Murktide, and I was prepared against Murktide too. <laughs> I played four main deck Doubtly Voidwalkers. All right, enough ranting about modern. Uh, this isn't what this podcast is about. Uh, maybe I'll save it for the sign off. Uh, anyway, my my Teferi is that summer has been great. I did actually really enjoy playing that modern game day, uh, and I'm looking forward to playing more modern. I ordered a couple more upgrades for my modern list. Uh, I, I love this deck, this black white scam deck. I, I'm I'm hoping Fury gets banned to affect the modern meta. I know people are saying mm -hmm. scam is a little busted. And I think part of the reason of that is that Fury shuts down X1s really hard. I mean, even Ragavan and like the Hierarchs and um, like Birds of Paradise, these cards, you just can't really play them anymore because Fury dunks on them so hard. So uh, I'm hoping maybe Fury is what gets banned and then maybe Black Red Scam kind of takes a hit. Then Black White can rise up in the meta. But anywho, uh, as far as limited goes, Eldraine drops in two weeks. So while I'm both sure does. eagerly anticipating Eldraine dropping in two weeks, I'm also uh, trying to pretend that's as far away as possible. What's up with you? Yeah, I mean, my Teferi this week is really wild. Uh, Wilds of Eldraine looks really, really cool. Um, I don't know that it's like as I don't know why actually I'm 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 quite excited about this set and it's not like any more exciting than any of the last sets we've had in like the last year or so and in, in my opinion I but for some reason I'm way more excited about it than I thought I was going to be um it might be my sec the second half of my Teferi is that I'm I built so I mentioned before that I'm building a Yissen deck 
Mm, yeah. And that's like a, I'm building like a budget non CEDH Gissen commander deck. But I also started, you know, when I get a when I get the brewing bug, I I kind of just start building a bunch of decks. I built I built a new commander deck that I've been wanting for a little while in some capacity and is very up my alley hmm. in a couple of areas. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is because oh, it's a little bit more fun to keep it to myself. Um, is it blue? And I'm not going to have it built for a long time. Blue is in the color identity, but it is not. Oh blue. man. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's a theme in it that I think uh, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's you. And it's something I've tried to do in Commander for a long time, but never actually made it, found a deck that made it work. And so I think I've got it this time. So I'm, I'm Sultai Food? Did you finally build it? No, it's not Sultai Food. Oh, we man. Still got, we still got Guillaume leading the food deck in, uh, in Black Green. But uh, when I build it, I won't have it built for a while because it's a little bit more expensive. Um, but when I eventually have it built, uh, we'll, we'll get some games in and and you'll see cool um cool my tibble is that i've been exhausted lately this week has been super busy for me and i've been going to bed way later than i need to and getting up like still kind of early so i'm just like super drained but um i like having stuff to do so it's been a nice week it's just uh yeah i'm exhausted hmm. all right on to our listener question of the week this week our question comes from koga who asks which episodes are your favorites to work on and which ones are the most slash the least work Hmm. Thanks, Koga. Uh, most work, I think, is the start of a new set by far. Uh, yeah, I think that's breakdowns we, take a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, um, we've changed how we do them over the over the years. Um, I, I actually think our vector based approach is the least amount of work <laughs> when we were yeah. going through and trying to figure out, I guess, like three or four commons that worked in each color pair. I think looking at them, assuming that each color pair is a vector, uh, which is typically how it works. Although sometimes we see certain sets where it's loose, like for example, in DMU, uh, blue, green and green, black weren't really distinct vectors. It was more just in the five color domain that set ended up having, I guess, like maybe four or five distinct vectors because a lot of the green ones just kind of blended together. But for the most part, in, in a usual two color set, there are 10 you know, archetype uncommons, and then we can treat those as vector signposts and build the vectors out from there. And that does take a lot of research, you know, it takes a lot of uh, looking over the spoiler, figuring out where pretty much where every single common and uncommon belongs. Uh, our, yeah. our approach with vectors is that every card can be good at a certain time, right? You can always reverse engineer a scenario where a certain card is good. So, uh, we look at that and we, we look at pretty much every card and we say, uh, when is this card at its best? Which vector, in which vector is this card at its best, basically? And uh, that takes a while. Yeah, and we like to do, you know, we're, we're kind of taking the, we typically start with the signposts, um, like the ones that Watsi puts out as like the signpost uncommons for the set. Mm -hmm. And we typically start there and try to like see in the context of the set is that a vector that's supported? Is it not? We often will just use all of those color, those, those signposts as the ones we talk about in the set, but uh, in the format breakdown rather, but the set doesn't always support them as actual signposts. So that's a little bit weird. And sometimes we try to, you know, hint at those things in our format breakdowns and such, but those are definitely the hardest work. The least work probably are live drafts because we kind of just sit down and go through a draft 
um, which we've been doing, right? So that they don't really take all that much work. In or in terms of preparation, I guess in terms of editing, those can be kind of the more difficult ones. Um, favorites to work on, though. In a lot of ways, I think the format breakdown is my favorite to work on because it's just it is a, it is a fun episode to go through. Any of like the random ones where we just kind of talk about our thoughts, like the last one last week, we talked about the the Gen Con announcements like that's always really fun to do because we're just sitting around and talking and you know Ben and I have been <laughs> friends for a long time so it's it's great to just have like kind of a conversation that we would have normally uh without really having to put any thought into it and just kind of sit down mm-hmm. and, and have a conversation like those are always fun yeah agreed in that I also do love the live drafts uh especially like a vintage cube or like a weird set like arena cube or a chaos type anything wacky that's a live draft I'm I mean, that's why we do this, right? Like, we, we love drafting chaff here, so as, as much said, as we can. Yeah, that said, this episode is not for those who are looking to have chaffy EVs or chaffy, uh, you know, uh, win rates. We're actually going back to basics this week to talk about when not to take good cards. Yeah, a little anti-rare drafting for you. Uh, kind of hinted at by our crack a draft type thing earlier. I, I feel like one of my biggest level ups in all of my magic career was when I learned to pass rares. And like I learned to pass traditionally good and flashy cards, maybe not even good, just like flashy cards. Uh, there was definitely a point when I was starting off that I would just take the rare out of every pack. I wouldn't really every pack one pick one at least i had i had some morals but i I would i would just take a look i'd see oh rare let's slam it if if it's good you know whatever if it's bad uh oh Uh, i remember the very first draft i did i took spear of heliod and i just kind of forced it it turns out that one actually was kind of good but i didn't make a good deck around it because i played mono white (laughs) and that one that wasn't even good Yeah, but it's a, I mean, it it is a huge level up to recognize when to take good cards and when not to. And I think the way that we kind of approach drafts with vector theory help us figure out when is the right time to pass a good card versus speculating on a good card versus taking a good card, thinking it fits in your deck when it doesn't. Vector theory helps with all of these kinds of things, but we're going to break down different areas throughout the kind of decision-making process for the middle of your draft to help you get better at well, when should I pass this good card versus take a maybe quote unquote mediocre card, but one that actually fits your deck really well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I still mess up with this sometimes. I, I I see something, my eyes are bigger than my stomach, and I'm like, ooh, yeah, I can I can splash that double off color pip with which actually in in Lord of the Rings, that's something great about this set. You can because of Great Hall of the Citadel, <laughs> and because of Wizards Rockets, you can actually do those. Uh, nonsensical off-color splashes but usually let's say the average limited set where you don't have access to like double color pip splashers and uh i i think one good way to approach this is by talking about ev or expected value so what uh what is ev yeah i mean essentially ev is really what it says in the name right it's the value you're getting at the, the, the value you expect to get out of a given given card and you you hear this in a lot of different areas, I think probably the most common one you'll hear at the beginning of a new set is like, especially for constructed players, 
Like if I'm going to buy a box of cards, what's the expected value of the box? Am I going to open the same value that I, that I purchased it for in terms of a limited draft though? Um, we have to talk about expected value because in the middle of a draft, you don't really know how your draft is going, right? We don't know exactly how the rest of the packs are going to open up. We don't know exactly. You can make very educated guesses about what you're going to get past and what you're not, but you don't know for sure what you're going to get. And then we talk about value in terms of the, the vector length of a card. And when we talk about vector theory, if you haven't already heard about vector theory, we do have a bunch of episodes on that. So definitely check out our backlog of episodes for some 101 and 201 kind of classes on vector theory. But essentially, vectors have both a direction and a strength, right? A length of the vector. And so the value of the card that we're talking about in this case is the length of that vector. So we have to think about it in the context of the deck we're trying to build. Yeah, and you have to do some estimating here, right? You have to figure out, well, maybe I have these two options. One of them points really, really strong in one direction, but it's hard to get into that direction. Whereas one points uh, maybe a little less strong, but it can slot well into a variety of decks. So you're making a prediction here. Sometimes you should make the safe bet. You should hedge a little bit uh, over the high risk, high reward one and pass that rare that you're not actually sure you're going to play in favor of taking a common or a land or uh, some sort of fixing or generically all around good card that you almost know for sure is going to make your deck. Yeah. And actually I want to note here too, this isn't just an, like when we say iffy rare or iffy card, I mean, it doesn't just apply to rares. It doesn't just apply to mythics. We're not just talking about cards that are off color that you need to splash, right? We're talking about cards that are off vector. And mm-hmm. so if you have, if you're in a, in a solid green, white deck, let's just say, and you open, you know, maybe a bomb green uncommon or even a bomb green rare that is designed for like an aggressive kind of, um, low to the ground deck, maybe a two or three drop. That's like really aggressive, but you're in this like go big kind of blue green deck. Right. I know I mentioned green, white earlier, but let's just say you're in a, in a, like a late game kind of green blue deck and you open some rare that fits really well into a green white deck. That's really aggressive. And then there's this other green card in the pack that fits in your deck better. You want to pass up that rare because, well, the value of the other card is, is much stronger in your deck. I had almost an identical situation happen to that, uh, in Eldraine draft. That's, it's also on flashback right now to get people hyped up for the new set. Uh, I had the option of taking either the green, green two, two, where whenever it attacks another creature gets plus X plus X where X is its power. Uh, and then the other option was three, it was the three and a green, uh, return target two like one card to your hand. And then the other on top of your library. But if you adamanted it, it, they both went to your hand. I don't know. Whatever that thing was called. Once in future, I think. Um, and I took the once in future because I was in a slow, rampy, uh, actually an Oko deck. Um, it, was, it was nasty. I did not trophy with it, sadly. Uh, nasty deck, though. Uh, because just the double pipped aggressive green card wouldn't have performed as well as potentially getting Oko back from my graveyard. <laughs> now, actually, I have another good example for this uh, using Lord of the Rings. So let's say you open up your pack one, pick one, right? And you have an Arwen Mortal Queen in the rare slot and also a Nazgul in the uncommon slot. And let's say they're miles above everything else in the pack because, you know, let's be honest, they probably are, right? But that's not an easy pick there. 
we can think about the expected value of each of these two cards, though. Uh, where Arwen is green-white, and Nazgul is just one color. It happens to be black, which is the best color. Uh, if I'm playing to win in this draft, I am going to take the Nazgul over the Arwen. And just because it's, it's statistically, if you were to run this a hundred times in a hundred different draft scenarios with uh, all different you know, packs that come after that, if you had that opening and then just everything that came after that was randomized a hundred times over, you're going to play the, the Nazgul maybe like 50, 40, 60% of the time in those, in those decks that you wind up with. Where the Arwen, I feel like you're probably going to end up playing between 20 to 40% of the time. Like if you're, fo- if you're forcing green-white, I don't know, the meta's kind of swung back and now people are starting to take green cards again. So uh, you're not going to play that nearly as often. Sometimes you just don't wind up in the two colors of the rare that you, pay- you take first pick. So you're just more likely to wind up with a deck that it can play Nazgul. Right. And... You know, and so in this case, when we're evaluating this kind of scenario, right, th- we would say the Nazgul has higher EV. The expected value of that card in this scenario is is higher than Arwen. Now, so, yeah, it makes sense. You take it. We can also consider a similar situation. Let's say you're playing, I don't know, like a red-green rare pile, where you're playing, like I mentioned earlier, Great Hall of the Citadel, and you're already splashing like a, a Faram and the Witch King of Angmar and other off-color bombs like that. Uh, you have like Woe's Pathfinders and, and plenty of fixing. And now it's pack three. Now, again, imagine you open that same pack with the Nazgul and the Arwen. Well, now you actually are able to support that Arwen pretty well, right? Uh, maybe it's not perfect for your deck. It's not like a Doors of Durin, like a red-green slam or anything. But you can still play it. It's still on vector for you uh, because you're already trying to splash off-color legends like that. So in this case, I would say that Arwen would have the higher expected value than the Nazgul. Sure, yeah, you could play the Nazgul in that deck, but it's a little harder to, to cast, right? It's not a legend itself when you cast it. It can be when it enters usually. Um, but in that case, like it's going to be harder to play. You can splash off like the Rose Pathfinders or pick up some fixing or something. But the Arwen is clearly more on vector for you in that case. Right. So essentially, we're talking about weighing between these two options. And it's, it's really up to you. That's part of what drafting is about, is figuring out amongst all the cards in the pack, what's the best card for me to take at this point. Now, that probably sounds really obvious, but when you start to break it down in terms of expected value within the context of your deck, right? Expected value isn't just something that we can keep as a constant. It's contextual. It's something that matter like depends on the deck you're drafting and also the decks that your table is drafting. So let's look at some things that, that are kind of rules of thumb to consider when you're looking at your rare or any other card that you may be picking between in, in a given pack. So first off, is it even good? I mean, this this you can kind of start out looking in a vacuum. Is the card even good? A lot of rares we see in plenty of sets, and we just came out of um, a set like, uh, was it one? Where yeah, one, one where like just yeah. a bunch of rares were complete <laughs> traps or just absolutely almost duds. every single one. Yeah. Uh, How many Lycosynth like Gardens did you open? <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, at, at the uh, at the GP or total? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I feel like this is one of the biggest pieces of advice I'd give to my younger self while drafting. Uh, just to be aware of, of the rares that you shouldn't actually try for. Um, often because they're not supported in the set. 
uh, you know, that the vector support just simply isn't there for that. There were a couple even in this uh, in the last couple sets, right? Um, what's the what's the one in, in Lord of the Rings? There's like a, a black red equipment thing. No, like we're not, we're not doing that. Um, and even something similar to that, maybe your deck, maybe the vector does exist within the format, but your deck can't support it, right? Uh, a good example of this is the Defiler cycle in Dominaria United. I'm just referencing DMU all the time today. I just love that set. Uh, it was on flashback, so <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, love it while I can. Uh, the Defilers were the double pipped, uh, sort of mono-ish color supported. They they didn't want to be domained. Um, Defiler of Insight, the, the blue one, I think. Uh, three blue blue for a four three flyer. It, let, it gave you a blue permanence Frexian, and then whenever a blue permanent entered, you could draw a card. Or whenever you cast a blue permanent or something like that. Now that wouldn't actually go that well in like a, I don't know, a five color domain deck where you have like one blue permanent besides it. Um, you would probably take something like Wingmantle Chaplain over it because you're not supporting that thing's vector. Whereas Wingmantle Chaplain is just good in any like five color domain deck. And especially more so if you build towards it within that vector, maybe you're already in the defender's deck uh, and you already have some support for it. Yeah. And then the next thing you kind of want to look at is, are you playing best of one or best of three? In best of one, you've got some things you don't necessarily need to consider that you do want to consider in best of three. Like, is this a good sideboard card? There are plenty of cards, and I can't remember the set now, but there was a set recent, relatively recently um, where there were actually a bunch of cards that were strictly designed for sideboards, but they only, like they put it on Arena in best of one, and it was like, these are just cards nobody wants to draft <laughs> because there's a whole cycle of them. I can't remember what they were called, but... They do that every couple sets. Um, in Eldraine, there's a cycle of them, right? Uh, there's like a red card that hates on red decks and a white card that hates on white decks. And if you're playing best of three, you can take those. Like if you're playing best of three, there's a reasonable chance you'll go up against every color in, in some way, right? Uh, assuming a purely even distribution, I guess. Sure, maybe you play three mono green drafters in a row, uh, which is what happened when I was actually playing that Oko deck. Um, but otherwise, maybe you wind up with uh, a couple of those in the sideboard. And those cards are really good in the sideboard against those certain decks. So their expected value doesn't come from being mainboarded. It comes from being good sideboard options. So just because something... There's more than one way to get expected value out of a card. Yeah, these are all things you kind of need to envelope under how good is this card or how effective is this card. And... You know, you can see that also with cards, not necessarily sideboards, but another way to kind of flip this in, if you are in best of one and maybe, you know, maybe you don't play best of three, that's okay too. But a different way you can kind of flip this question is what does my vector do poorly or what doesn't it do? And then you can think about taking cards that will shore up those weaknesses and mm-hmm. evaluate the card in the realm of what kind of hole is this card actually filling in this deck? A good way to think about this is that in modern limited formats, you're usually not scraping for playables, right? That there's usually enough there. Uh, you'll always wind up with a couple extra cards that you wind up being able to cut. Now, imagine if maybe instead of that 25th best card, you had taken a really strong sideboard card in best of three. Well, then you've shored up your game plan against like a green deck by taking that green hate card. Uh, and it didn't really cost you anything if you took it over your 25th best playable, right? Maybe there were six cards left in pack two. And you're like, well, 
there's nothing else really here for me. Maybe there's this fringe playable that could get cut anyway, but I could take this, um, I don't know, this card that kills flyers, right? I'm playing a green deck. Maybe my opponent is like on blue white or something. Yeah, I could use that. And you know, you're not going to main deck it and you shouldn't think you're going to main deck it, uh, but it'll, it'll get you value out of the sideboard. Now, sometimes you make a mistake doing this uh, and you take that rare when you weren't supposed to. Many times I have, you know, like I said earlier, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. I took that rare thinking I, I could splash it and then I get to deck building and I'm like, man, this does not work. Uh, a good example in this set might be uh, Gandalf, right? Gandalf the Grey, uh, where you take that that nice, you know, bomb rare Gandalf. Maybe you took it in like a, I don't know, like a red white deck or something. And you're like, well, I guess I could still splash it. And you look and you only have like six or seven instants and sorceries. And you're like, eh, but I have a great hall the Citadel. I could still play it. But this is where you should be asking yourself, are you making a second mistake? Right. The first mistake was maybe taking that over like a rally at the Hornburg, which your red white deck would have probably preferred to have. Uh, be careful not to make the second mistake of playing it over maybe like a one one. Right. Maybe uh, just some on color, easier to cast, more applicable card that better fits your vector. Because, you know, if Gandalf isn't getting there, then it's a five mana three four in your aggressive red white deck. That's not that's not going to work out the way you want it to. Definitely. Yeah. Don't let your mistakes compound on each other. I think you can also kind of approach this. We've seen uh, or heard, right? A lot of folks will talk about like board states. You know, when you talk to a pro about how do you manage the board, like complicated board states, what they're doing is they're taking the state from the turn before, updating in their head just like the minor adjustments between turns and evaluating based on those slight changes, not the entire board state as a whole, because they don't need to. You're evaluating every turn. The same can be said about the way you're, you're taking cards in a draft. So you're evaluating kind of based on the state of the draft prior. And so maybe you took that bad card. Maybe you did make that first mistake. Reevaluate your pool. Don't let yourself get caught and like anchored down by the fact that you made one mistake in terms of taking a card you, didn't, you sh maybe shouldn't have. Reevaluate, level set, and, and approach the draft from the pool of cards that you have going forward. That said, I'll also just throw a little like extra tip that I try to keep myself to. I don't always adhere to this. Use the timer. If you're drafting an arena, you have a you have a draft timer, like force yourself to use the whole time. You know, maybe you mm -hmm. like pre-select your card, but force yourself to think about the pick for the whole time slot you have. Because a lot of times um I tend to like click through really fast and end up yeah. taking cards that I haven't that that like helps you compound your mistakes because you don't you're not taking time in between to think about whether or not it was a mistake. Yep. Never feels good to derail your own draft because of a rushed pick. Now, all this, do as we say, not as we do, right? Uh, I, I've absolutely been the one to derail my own draft because uh, I saw this flashy bomb rare. Thankfully, there's not too many wacky, uh, ridiculous temptations in uh, Lord of the Rings besides, you know, ring temptings. Uh, but you know, I haven't done Aragorn yet. I've been, I've been strong. Uh, I've resisted <laughs> the, uh, like super great hall, the Citadel. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Aragorn deck. Uh, I definitely haven't tried Tom Bombadil. That one's certainly a trap. Although I have seen people try it and let's just say, I don't think I've ever lost to, to a Tom Bombadil. Um, maybe you do actually just want to take that, that nonsense rare 
maybe you want to take the Aragorn, right? Yeah. The other thing to consider too is like, there's there's the expected value of the card in your deck and what that does for your deck and how what your your win rate EV might be like the expected value as it relates to your your win rate. But hey, this is arena. Gems are involved. Sometimes you get a little bit of gem EV by taking a rare that you probably don't need to play, but you have four copies of already, so you know you're getting gems back. That's a different aspect to the game as well. It's something to consider, something to keep in mind, and hey, if those few extra gems are going to let you get another draft in, well, maybe that's the EV you're looking for. For similar reasons, uh, you can use the same framework to think about packs, right? And the expected value of packs. Uh, I recommend if you're you know, going to a local game store that does packs as prize support or maybe store credit instead, look up the expected value of those packs. I was actually kind of bummed when I took Commander Masters packs and... Uh, I saw that, well, I, 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 I opened nothing. <laughs> like I, I won the commander masters draft. Uh, I got, I think like the options were $50 store credit or the four packs. I took the four packs. I think I opened under $10 in stuff. So uh, I wish I had checked the EV and sometimes it can be a little deceptive too. And when it comes to this, uh, sometimes the EV is contained within only a handful of cards in the set. Like they might be extra expensive, but when they get averaged out with everything else, it still makes it look like the packs are worth something, but you actually have a very low chance of making back uh, your, your EV. That'd be like a high risk, high reward type thing. Sometimes it's better just to hedge. In hindsight, I wish I had just taken the store credit. And uh, this does actually remind me of something. Uh, sometimes my students will do this. Uh, there'll be two questions on an exam that are logically equivalent, we'll say. And if, it, if they don't know the answer, they will put like, one answer for one of the questions and then a different answer for the other question. And those two answers are not, well, let's say they're not logically consistent, but they know that uh, it's down to those two choices uh, for the two, the two questions. So it guarantees that they get one of the questions right. And one of the questions wrong rather than say uh, getting both questions right or both questions wrong. So they're taking the uh, the guaranteed EV play. Uh, and sometimes that's what you got to do in draft, right? <laughs> it's a little different when you're taking an exam. And uh, usually when I see that, I, I give them a look anyway. <laughs> or I, I, might, I might look at their work and see if they actually did earn the points, but they were just, you know, trying to metagame me here. <laughs> but uh, sometimes when drafting, it's actually correct to do that. It's, it's correct to take the, uh, the maybe slightly weaker, but more likely to make your deck card uh, because it increases your overall EV more efficiently. All right. So that kind of does it on our little back to basics episode on uh, sort of when not to take good cards. Anti-rare drafting has been called it earlier. Before we do our sign off and, and kind of wrap things up here, we did want to talk about a couple of Eldraine spoilers that have popped up today. Now, these are ongoing. We're kind of in the, you know, the start of the regular sort of spoiler season here. Um, We've got quite a few interesting cards that popped up and one incredible card that I'm kind of surprised is getting printed. <laughs> uh, I, I don't actually know what you're talking about. There's like four of them on here that could fall <laughs> under that description. So I think maybe it's Virtual of Valor is the one you're talking about, the, the white enchantment. Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. Uh, let, let's just get this one out of the way. No one's beating this in limited, like ever. <laughs> Probably not. Probably this not. Is a, it's this an is anthem a, on steroids. This is a Scarab God type card. Like this is... Uh, near Except unbeatable. it's monocolored. It is monocolored. Now that's that's pack EV, right? That's EV right there. So this is an enchantment. It's a five mana enchantment, three white white. 
uh, and it th- is an adventure. You can instant adventure off of this. So yeah, we're seeing adventures on um, on non creatures for the first time. That's kind of cool. Uh, you can adventure to make a two two white knight creature token with vigilance. That uh, that adventure now. costs yeah one of the white. Uh, the thing is a uh, flash too. I think I saw in one translation. Maybe not. Hard to say. Oh no, it's an instant, so it, it does have flash. Um, so that's just a two mana two two vigilance with flash functionally. That's that's good. Uh, and then stapled to it, you get three white white. At the beginning of your end step, put a one one counter on each creature you control. Untap those creatures. That is yeah, so, so good. <laughs> just an anthem. It's a, it's it's an anthem on steroids that gives you a creature. Yeah, yeah. It guarantees you have something to put it on. You can do it as an instant. You could leave up well, counter magic instead. Like I don't this know is that such a Cheon's card. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I don't know that it guarantees you have something to put it on. If you play this on curve, then like there are mm. a few turns in between where like somebody could kill your two two, and maybe you don't have a creature on board. But still, worst case scenario, this is a five mana do nothing, which is pretty bad. But it gives you some help in that it lets you make a two two on curve. Yeah, I don't. I mean, like the deck that wants to play this is not. It is a Chion's card, but like you still want creatures. So yeah. this could also just be a crazy top end for like a white, like go wide deck. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like a like a blue white deck. Imagine it's it's turn four. You play your fourth land. You play a two drop and pass, and then on their end step, you make the two two untap play land play this. The yeah, game's crazy. Right? <laughs> yeah, it triggers on your end step, so it's going to trigger the turn you play it. It's an yep. anthem that leaves its buffs behind. Like you can just and swing. Then it gives everything vigilance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, better than that because what if there's tap abilities, right? Sure. And then yeah, <laughs> it untaps them too. Uh, yeah, no, this is uh, this is quite the card, and this is a cycle. The blue one is sort of like a panharmonicon. The adventure yep. it, uh, it it copies a triggered or activated ability, I think, or no, it counters it. I forget. It's a, it's either a stifle it, it or copies. a copy. It copies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, excited to see what the rest of that cycle has in store. The other card we could potentially be referring to when we say ridiculously busted is Beseech the Mirror. One black, black, black sorcery. It's a mythic and it has bargain. Uh, this new mechanic. Uh, you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast this spell. Um. That, that seems fine. There's token makers. It looks like rats are actually a token theme in the set. That's kind of funny. Yep. Um, and there's also, I mean, we're going to have a whole, whole episode. Yeah, we'll this, get into all the mechanics. Yeah, breakdowns and you, stuff, can but... make, uh, you can make aura tokens. They're tokens yeah. that just come in. They go to the graveyard pretty often. So, well, they don't actually, you know what I mean? They go away pretty often. Uh, but you'll have stuff laying around. Even food. Food is coming back in the set. So there'll be stuff to sack for this. So bargain, I think it's going to be pretty reasonable that you'll be able to bargain this. Search your library for a card. Exile it face down, then shuffle. If this spell was bargained, you may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost if that spell's mana value is four or less. Put the exiled card in your hand if it wasn't cast this way. So let's assume you're always going to bargain this, which, you know, it's a black deck. You're going to make tokens, expendable stuff. Reasonable, right? Uh, this is a second copy of your best three or four drop, two drop even. I mean, this gets any removal spell that's the four or less, any creature spell that's four or less. It's a sorcery. Uh, In Constructed, this can go get Shouldred or the One Ring, and that is going to break some formats. (laughs) This is copies uh, five through eight of multiple busted cards in multiple already strong decks. Uh, yeah, this, this the interesting really part good. with that is it's like it, it's it's toolboxy in that like 
you don't have to decide which fifth to eighth copy of that card. Like you don't have to decide which card it is until you yep. play it and you need that until card. You need so it. it's yeah, it looks uh, really yep. strong. Yep, sure does. We've also got so part of the the story in this, which you know maybe turn off if you, you don't want any spoil story spoilers. I'm going to be as spoiler free as possible here. Um, but part of the story is that like when they defeated the the um I almost said the Eldrazi the <laughs> Phyrexians coming out of uh March the Machine um there was sort of a, a fey lord that teamed up with a couple uh, actually three witches and we got the the cards for those three witches so the first of those is Ariette of the Charmed Apple this is one white black for a human warlock at mythic all th- actually all three of these are mythics and it says each creature that's enchanted by an aura you control can't attack you or planeswalkers you control. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life where X is the number of auras you control. So plays into the kind of the role theme in the in the format, which is uh, those those aura kind of tokens that been mentioned a bit earlier. Um, she's three mana two four already. And the flavor text is phenomenal. Hush now. I need your beauty sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah, it plays right in with her, her role in the story, too. So it looks like there was a, um, I think it's cursed roll. It turns something, it's a humility. It turns something into a one, one. I think it keeps its abilities though. So, um, that means that you can just start cursing your opponent's stuff. If you can, uh, find ways to get it. And then they just can't attack you with that stuff ever. And then it starts draining for a million. Yeah. Good card. The next of the cycle is Agatha of the vile cauldron. That's uh, red green for a one, one also human warlock. All three are. Uh, activated abilities of creatures you control cost X less to activate, where X is Agatha's power. This effect can't reduce the mana in that cost to less than one mana. And then she has four red-green. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain trample and haste until end of turn. Bit of a weird card. I don't actually think this yeah. is that good and limited. But if you can pump her power, maybe with some auras or something, or just regular pump spells... Uh, you can make her activated ability cheaper. I mean, if you can get her up to a four, four, then that becomes red, green, give things one, one in haste. That's, uh, that's good. Oh, trample haste too. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a wild overrun effect. If you can, if you can, if it costs like three or two mana, Mm -hmm. um, any more than that. And it's, I mean, one, one trample haste is probably not going to really do a ton for you. Um, Yeah. For six, not really. You need to be able to buff her power by a lot. This is also a weird card because, like, she's cheap, two mana. It's a one-one though, so like, and this is something like your opponents see a mile away. Like, they could easily just, yeah. just get rid of her and like, okay, then it's like all that work you did to try to like buff her isn't really like you just wasted a bunch of time and cards and mana and stuff. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not super thrilled on Agatha here. This is the, the type next- of one that you you pass right. You right, pass yeah. this over like a monocolor kill spell every time. Don't don't but get trapped by Agatha. I will say though, like in the right vector, in like a pack three, if you get past this, or maybe you open it pack three, pick one, and you've got like a really solid red green kind of buffy style deck, she could fit in real well. So yeah, if games go long too, just one one and trample. I mean, it's not that bad. Yep. Um, and then the last of the cycles, Hilda of the Icy Crown. This is two white blue for, again, a legendary human warlock at Mythic. She's a 3-4. And whenever you tap an untapped creature you an opponent controls, you may pay one. When you do, choose one. Create a 4-4 four, four white and blue elemental creature token. 
Put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control, or scry two, then draw a card. All three of these are incredible. I love this card. I can't wait to play blue-white in this format. Uh, I may actually, this, this may come as a shocker. I'm already workshopping a commander deck with her. I don't. Yep, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> because out of all the blue-white exactly vectors, the kind of degeneracy you would play oh, yeah. if you were going to play blue. I'm playing opposition. That's legal in commander, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I got to double know. check on that one. But that means I can tap my stuff to tap their stuff, and then I can make a 4-4, four, four, and then I can pay one and tap that to tap one of the other things. Uh, this card looks sick. I hope Tapper's there's a common. Deck, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Icy Manipulators dot deck, right? I, yeah. I hope there's a common... Um, I mean, even in Eldraine, we had a... Uh, it was like an Icy Witch. Uh, she was like a, a three mana, two, three. And um, she would like lock something down if she hit it in combat. But then her her adventure was like tap something. It doesn't untap next turn. And now we have stun yep. counters, right? So maybe we'll get just like a common Frostlinks variant, right? A three mana, two, two ETB tap your opponent's thing. It, it has a stun counter on it. Like that, that'd be perfect. Also, like think about think about like Frostlinks, right? Typically a three drop, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But like, let's say you you top deck it on four, you pay four mana. Now you have a Lynx and a four four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, you only you only need to proc this once, right? And yeah. if you do, you immediately make the four four. I, I there's no bad mode here, right? All of these. No, are I great. think the worst <laughs> is probably make like put a counter on each creature, and she's your only creature. But That's still, the, like, yeah. Then you've got a four mana four five. Like, okay, that's still good. That's proccing whenever you do the tap. Yeah. This is the one I'm most excited to try in limited for sure. Uh, And the vector uncommon, it's also right along this. I think the vector uncommon might actually be a Frostlings variant. It is, it is a tap. No, the vector uncommon, I think, actually taps uh, repeatedly. Oh, repeatedly. It's it's got got an icy effect, (laughs) I believe. I believe. I don't remember the cards well enough to know for sure off the top of my head, but uh, it does seem like Blue White's intended vector is tap your opponent's stuff. So nice, nice. Uh, well, if all that's not for you, uh, what maybe one more card here, Decadent Dragon. Uh, this one looks looks pretty busted too. This is a two red red for a four four flying trample. Whenever it attacks, make a treasure. That's a gold span right there. I mean, yep. if it attacks on turn five, that is functionally a gold span. It's a little haste, easier to kill. Yeah, yeah, but it costs four. True, <laughs> gold, gold span costs five. This is basically a gold span dragon body, but then it also has a, a black adventure stapled to it. Uh, it's three and a black. It's an instant, expensive taste. Exile the top two cards of target opponent's library face down. You may look at and play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. This is funny. You can play them if they're lands. But you can't cast them for mana of any color. Uh, it right. doesn't give you that usual clause. However, this thing makes tre- treasures. So if you can get a couple attacks in with a decadent dragon, if they haven't scooped by the time you hit them two or three times with a four-four flyer, then uh, I guess you can cast all your opponent's best stuff. So uh, th- this one looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited for this set so far. It's looking pretty cool. I mean, most of what we talked about today are mythics. So like. Yeah, I mean, Mythics should feel fun and busted, but... And they um, do, yeah. Yeah. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the Discord if you haven't already. We've got some big announcements coming up, so you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for those. Discord's the best place to do it. If you want to give us listener questions to answer on the show, Discord's the place to do it. So definitely drop by there. We'd love to have you. 
If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Again, we really appreciate all of you who continue to support us each and every week. We've got big things coming, so I, I'm excited. It should be quite an interesting Q4 for us. Um, and it's all really thanks to your support. So thank you so much. And again, uh, you can find us on Twitter at draft pod. Thanks folks. And we'll catch you next week. Now, uh, we got to take the opportunity to uh, use our new technology here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is, that, is that coming out right side out, folks? I uh, can't tell. Make sure you're watching. It looks video. right side to me. It looks, it looks good to me. Well, not okay. good, but I can read it. Yeah, okay. Uh, listener, please let us know in the Discord. Um, maybe just pull this up on, on YouTube or if you're listening on Spotify, just check the Spotify video. It's literally just in the app. You just have to open it up. Just... um. Let me know in Discord what this wow, says. Your, your you camera even focuses on it. Oh my! Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah, I got the auto. I don't know focus. why. Yes. I, I don't know why I put up with this crap. <laughs> well, uh, let us know in the, in the Discord, folks, if that works. <laughs> you know what? Just for you doing that, I'm going to give you a little insight to the deck that I said I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll give you oh. two bits of insight because I think they're both hilarious. Okay. One, I dismantled group hugs to build this. Whoa, hold up. I the Kenrith one? Uh, the Kenrith one. Oh, I the no Ken- longer have a group hugs deck. It's gone. Whoa, you're, you're getting mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I realized the last couple times I've played Kenrith, I haven't had very much fun because I just give everybody resources and then they kill me immediately. Like nobody, I, I thought <laughs> when I built a group hugs deck, I thought like, oh, everybody will love keeping me around because I give them all the resources they need. Turns out once they have the resources they need, I'm a just kill you them. With them. <laughs> so, uh, so that's one I had to, t- I, well, I didn't have to, but some of the cards in, in my Kenrith deck I'm using in this new deck. Interesting. And one of the cards that is on my considering list that I have not decided whether it's going to make the cut yet is, is this bad boy. So, uh, oh, just, oh just leave you with that. <laughs> I'll just leave you with All that. Right. All right. Nothing good comes from that. Uh, yikes. I got to start brewing this, this uh, icy queen deck to to tap down that nonsense. Oh, good luck. (laughs) 